Shall we pray? Father, we give you thanks for this evening that as we look into your word, teach us how not to fall into defeat, but to continuously live in this life of victory that you so desire of us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to come into our midst. Speak to us as we give you this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, will you please be seated? <clears throat> what a great victory it was for the Israelites. The last we left them, we saw how Joshua and the Israelites, they were victorious over the city of Jericho. And what a great victory it was. Bear in mind that this was their first victory as they ventured into the land of Canaan. And as pointed out last week, chapter 6 records for us this fundamental principle that for Joshua to adhere to if Israel were to be victorious over their enemies. They were to trust and obey in the ways of God even though they may not be able to comprehend them. <clears throat> How do you overcome a fortified city? The common strategy is by sure brute force. If not, lay siege until the enemy becomes weary, runs out of resources, and ultimately surrenders and gives up. But you will realize that that's not what God commanded Joshua to do. His ways, as we have already established, is different and better. God's ways simply tells us it's very different. Isaiah 55 verse 8 to 9 says, For your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your thoughts. And so we find that the instructions given by God to the Israelites were simply this. If you refer back to chapter 6, verse 3, God told them, you are simply to just march round the city once for six days. And then in verse 4, on the seventh day, march round the city seven times. And verse 5, at the last instance, at the blast of the ram's horn, they are to light out a loud shout. As long as the people of God obeyed what was said to them, victory was assured. The walls of Jericho came tumbling down, the cities was demolished, and the enemies was left standing. No enemy, rather, was left standing. So not surprisingly then, you'll find the chapter ends on a rather high note. For chapter 6 verse 27 says, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. However, as we come now to today's passage in Joshua chapter 7, we find that victory at Jericho followed with defeat at Ai. And this defeat was Israel's first and only military defeat in the land of Canaan. What happened? How was this upset possible? You know, when you contrast the two places, Jericho was a great city where I in comparison, was just a small town comprising of only a few people. So how is it that they could overcome I, a great city, but not, rather, how they could overcome Jericho, a great city, but not I, a small town? The cause for this rather humiliating defeat can be found immediately in the very first verse of chapter 7, which reads this. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things, for Achan the son of Kami, 
the son of Zabdi, the son of Zara, of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. So we find here that the positive soul in the prior chapter now becomes a negative but in chapter 7. But what? Look again. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan took some of the devoted things, and because of this, the anger of the Lord burned against his people. So what caused God's anger to burn against them? Reading in verse ahead in verse 11 of chapter 7, we find that the Lord revealed to Joshua that Israel has sinned. And in this case, the sin was committed by a man by, his, by the name of Achan. And interestingly, Achan, his name means trouble. And here's what we know a little bit about him based on the text. He comes from the tribe of Judah. He's married with a wife. He has a family, sons and daughters. And he's really wealthy because verse 24 tells us that he has oxen, donkeys and sheep. But what was Achan's sin? What exactly did he done wrong? Well, again, if you look to the scriptures, you'll find that this man blatantly violated one of the three commandments given which the Jews were to comply with after the fall of Jericho. Remember last week I shared with you that there was three commands that they were to do before the victory and three commands after the victory. And so to recap, what was the three command that the Israelites were to comply with after the victory? It was simply, if you again, you look back to chapter 6, verse 17 and 24, God told them that after the victory, you are to devote the entire city to God. Verse 21, you are to kill every living being. Verse 24, you are to burn the city. And you find, as the passage tells us, well, they did kill everybody within the city there. They did burn the city. But it was the first command that was violated. You see, the mandate for God was very clear. Don't touch any of the spoils of war. The spoils of war belongs to me. But Achan disobeyed. He broke faith in regarding the devoted things. Now church, bear in mind, it's not like Achan didn't know about this command. No. He knew about it. Why? Because he was there with the rest of his fellow Jews when this announcement was made by God. God told everyone and everyone heard this command that was given. But let's now consider the flow that led to Achan's sin. How is it that we can fall from grace? How is it that from victory we can be led to sin? Verse 21 shows us how Achan fell. We are told here that he says, When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shina, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted and took them. So you see, Achan's fall from grace, his first mistake began when he looked at the spoils. It's okay to look at the spoils, but the problem is he looked at the spoils a second time. 
probably a third time, and maybe a fourth time. He couldn't help seeing those items at the first time, and so he had to view it again. You see, it is often the second glance that gets us into trouble. It is often the second glance that gets the imagination working in our head that leads to sin. Instead of fixing his eyes on the Word of God, the command of God, he looked at the wrong direction, he looked at the things that he was not supposed to look at, and he thus ended up sinning. As commented by Max Lucado on this particular incident, he saw the blink and he forgot the king. And God's discipline was immediate and severe. A warning for us here, isn't it? So what our eyes fix on? Is our eyes fixed on to what is godly that can cause you and I to fall from grace? Or are our eyes fixed on what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable? If there is any excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, are we thinking about these things? This was what Paul writes to the Philippian Christians in, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. You know, history has shown us many examples of men and women, both godly and righteous, how they have fallen from grace. Why? Because they fix their eyes not on the 3G, rather they fix their eyes on the 3G that can cause any one of us to fall. And what are the 3Gs? Here they are. Gold. Gold refers to money, possession. Our eyes constantly fix on these things. Our eyes fix on girls and guys, referring to sex. Our eyes fix on glory, fame. Know that every man and woman in history who have fallen from grace, they fall from either one of these three Gs. And it's a solely a warning for you and I that we must heed, that we must be careful not to fix our eyes on these things. Instead, our eyes must fix on the fourth G. And the fourth G is God. If our eyes fix on the Word of God, if our eyes fix on Him, we will not fall. If Achan had fixed his eyes on the command that was given to him, he would not have fallen. And so we find that to Achan's second mistake, he saw the thing that was devoted to God instead of saying that, no, it doesn't belong to me. What he did was he began now to reclassify that these things that belongs to God was for him to covet. And when he began to covet, he made the third mistake of taking it for himself. So in other words, you find that it involves here his eyes, his heart, and his hands. And for committing this act, God declared in verse 11 that Achan was stealing what belongs to God and even lying about it. And you find that what's worse, Achan, Achan even thought that, you know, he did this sin, he thought that by hiding the loot, he could get away with his evil deeds. How foolish is it, isn't it, to think that we can hide away from God? The things that we have done wrong, we may say that we've done, we, we done it in secret. Nobody knows. Yes, nobody may know, but God knows. Adam and Eve tried to hide from their sins, but God found them. The Lord, the Lord in Jeremiah 23 verse 24 says, Can a man 
hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see, declares the Lord. Do I not feel heaven and earth, declares the Lord. So you see, nothing escapes God's view. No sin escapes God's eyes. What we do in private will eventually be exposed in public. For Numbers, 23, for Numbers 32, verse 23 rightly tells us, be sure that your sin will find you out. So when you think about it, Achan disobeyed God's will just to possess some wealth that he couldn't even enjoy. And bear in mind, as I already showed to you, Achan was not a poor man. He was a wealthy man. And yet he wanted to possess some little wealth to add to what he had. And because of that, he couldn't enjoy it. He only needed to be patient. He only needed to wait a couple more days or so when the city of Ai will be taken and the plunder of the spoils could be taken for him to enjoy. The second cause of the defeat for the Israelites then was this. If the first was sin, the second cause of defeat was complacency. Verse 2 reads, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth Avon, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. Now I want you to scan the passage again, and you will realize that nowhere in this passage did God told Joshua to spy out Ai. It seems that Joshua took it upon himself to do it. It was as though sending out spies proved to be the proven formula for success from now on. Because again, if you remember, before crossing the Jordan, they, he was one of the 12 spies that scouted the land. And then when they entered into Canaan, they scouted Jericho, and it was a very successful victory. And so it was only natural that it seems that they should be scouting the town of Ai. So it feels that as though seeking the Lord's guidance was now deemed to be unnecessary at all. Self-confidence seems to get the better of Joshua. It appears, in other words, he was relying on his own ability. And unfortunately, you find that this appears to be the same attitude of the spies as well. Because we are told that upon their return assignment, what did they do? They confidently reported that to Joshua that it only required two or three thousand armed men to attack the city. The mistake here was not sending out the spies. The mistake here was in the assumption that God will grant them victory without first seeking the mind of God. You see, Joshua listened and accepted the counsel of his men instead of seeking the mind of the Lord. And we know that when we do that, we seek the mind of man without consulting the Lord, we know that we will fail. And that's what happened to Joshua and the rest of the men. And so the warning for us here is clear. It is so easy for us that we can simply rely on our own abilities and our own self-confidence ahead of God's guidance. And this can happen 
when we fail to take the time to pray, to read, to come into His presence, and especially when we need God to consult us in certain direction or in certain areas in our lives. So Joshua didn't listen to God. He didn't even bother to seek the Lord. He listened to his man's counsel. And that's what he did. We are told in verse 4 and 5, he took his 3,000 men, confident of a simple and quick victory, but then he was in for a root shock. Because we are told that as the men went forth to attack, they fled before the men of Ai in verse 4 and 5. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shorabin and struck them at the descent. So the attack ended up as a failure. The attack ended up as a failure, resulting in 36 death. This was truly a humiliating defeat for the Israelites after the massive victory that they had at Jericho. No wonder you read in verse 5, it says here that now the Israelites' heart, that the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Remember when they went into Jericho, what did Rahab told the two spies? That the people there, that their hearts were melted. But now it seems that Israel's hearts were melted. The tables have now turned. But the story today is not about how we live in defeat. Because credit to Joshua, he took steps to rectify the situation. Yes, we can always be on a high, on a victory, on a path of victory. And yes, at times, sometimes we may fall. But this passage teaches us that when we fall, and when we will fall, there are steps that we can take to rectify so that we don't end up living in defeat. So what did Joshua do? He did two things. According to the text, we are told that this general who had not known defeat now spent the rest of the day prostrate before the ark with his clothes, with his clothes torn, in verse 6. You see, Joshua was now remorseful. He realized his mistake. He humbled himself before the Lord. He cried out to God, seeking for an answer. The ironic thing is this, isn't it? If he had humbled himself before the attack on Ai, the situation would have been entirely different. Psalms 51 verse 17 tells us that a broken spirit and a contrite heart, God will not despise. And so as Joshua came before the Lord with this attitude, God revealed to him why Israelite was in defeat. Verse 11, Israel have sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. So God revealed to Joshua, there was a rotten apple among their midst that needed to be dealt with. And the culprit was eventually singled out, and as we know, he was Achan. So Joshua humbled himself. Aware of the problem, the next step then that Joshua took was to confront the sin and the, and the individual. Verse, 12, verse 19, Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to Him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. 
Joshua, aware of the problem, now confronted Achan and his sin. Now, I know for many of us, we are very nice people. We don't like to confront people. But here's a lesson for us. Though we may not like to confront people, the point here is simply this. When sin abounds, we must be willing to stand up against it. When any one of us are living in sin, we cannot afford to say, just close my eyes, sweep things under the carpet and say, it's all right. That's not discipleship. When we know if anyone in our midst is sinning, we must confront it and we must stand up and tell that person lovingly, not condemningly, but lovingly, that you are wrong, that you must change. And in dealing with Achan, we see now once again the need to follow strictly to this methodical ways of the Lord as stated from verses 10 to 26. Firstly, verse 13, everyone had to first consecrate themselves. Now, the purpose of this consecration was to present themselves before God so that He could expose the guilty man. And then we are told that beginning with the tribes, the Lord will narrow it down to the clan, to the household, and finally to the individual. You know, as I read this, I scratched my head. I said, why didn't God just simply tell Joshua, it's Achan? Why must go through, you know, the tribe, the clan, the household, the individual? God could just simply say it's Achan, right? Have you ever thought about this? Why God had to do this? Why bother to go through this whole process? I believe the answer is this. I believe it was the Lord's way of showing grace by allowing Achan to confess his wrongdoing. You see, it must have been frightening for him, knowing that God knows that he's the culprit, that when God began to seize one by one, you know, until eventually from the tribe to the household, he must have known that, oh, it's going to be, it's going to be. God was giving the opportunity to say, yes, I am the one. And if Achan had did this, if Achan had did admit his guilt, I believe he would have been forgiven. But the point of the matter is, Achan didn't admit his guilt only after he was pointed out. And here's another contentious issue for us. As I read this passage, I scratched my head again. <laughs> because although Achan admitted to his sin and was duly punished, the question that I raise to you is this. Why must the punishment involve his entire family as well? Did you realize this? Although Achan admitted, yes, I'm the one. I did took the things that's not supposed to be mine. And so he was duly punished by death. But why was his entire family killed and punished as well? To answer this question, we need to look at the law in Deuteronomy 24 verse 16, which states this, that each one shall be put to death for his own sin. This law in Deuteronomy clearly prohibits any innocent family member from being punished for the sins of their relatives. So for instance, if Danny makes a sin, okay, Enoch cannot be punished for Danny's sin. Danny has to face his own sin. This is what the law says. But the fact here was that his entire family, his wives, sons, and daughters were brought to the valley of Achor, and there they were stoned, and his family burned. They were all wiped out. Why? The only conclusion is this, that his entire family were guilty of sin as well. 
His entire family was guilty of assisting him in this sin. So probably they knew about what he was doing. They didn't, they didn't stop him. They didn't inform Joshua, but they allowed him. And when he did that, they are guilty of sin. And so the warning here for us is not to treat the Word of God lightly. The warning for us is not to treat the sacred things of God carelessly. Why? Because we serve, we have a holy God. And when we serve a holy God, there will be consequence when we do things that is contrary to His nature. As we close then, and as we reflect over this chapter and what has transpired, why was it that the Israelites were tasting victory one moment and the next facing the agony of a crushing defeat? Why is it possible for us to be victorious living as disciples of Christ only for us to suddenly fall? This passage tells us there are two reasons. The first has to do with our daily walk with the Lord. If you recall, the command of Joshua in chapter 1 was for him to meditate on God's Word day and night. And this involves consulting the Lord in all matters. But as we have seen, Joshua failed to do this. He failed to consult the Word of the Lord. And this led to his defeat. The second answer as this passage also tells us, how is it that we are able to live victoriously one moment and fall from grace? It's because of sin. It is when we disobey God, it is when we, dis and when we neglect God's way and instead follow the way of the world, that's where we fall. It is where we begin to choose and live an unholy lifestyle, when we chase after materialism instead of the things of God. The point here is this, when we fail to go to His Word, we fail to know what God considers a sin, and so we will fall. The unfortunate thing about Achan's sin, and it is true for any other sin, is that it did not just affect Achan alone. When you as a sinner sin, the consequence does not affect you alone. It affects the whole community as well. Because we find the Achan sin caused the Israelites' unexpected defeat to Ai. Achan sin caused the death of the life of 36 innocent Jews. Achan sin caused the death of his entire household as well. So as we close, as we reflect over this passage this evening, may we as disciples of Jesus continuously live this victorious and abundant life simply by being obedient to His Word and simply not live in a life of sin. Let's pray. So gracious and heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, that You are a God of mercy and grace. Thank You, Lord, for showing us in this verse that truly You desire us to live that victorious life. But yet we know that it's so easy for us to fall from a life of victory to a life of defeat. And your word today reminds us what we need to do, what we need to avoid. What we need to do is to constantly obey your word. And what we need not do, what we must not do, 
is to be disobedient to your word and fall into sin. So Father, this evening as we hear your word, may your word continue to speak to us, strengthen us and help us that we may live this victorious life for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we stand as Mengui leads us in this response song?